Yes, September 28th, everybody. Put it in your calendar. Make sure you, uh, that you're here. We're going to have just an awesome celebration, uh, celebrating seven years of ministry here at Gen 1. Isn't that exciting? Super exciting. We're actually going to be launching, um, kind of, we'll kind of be celebrating three weeks in a row. So the 14th, 21st, and 28th, um, we're doing a series called Incredible. And uh, we're going to be highlighting the first week, seven incredible families. Uh, families of real powerful value here for us. Uh, the next week, we have a special guest speaker, Chris Cook. Any Chris Cook fans in the house? Okay. Well, if you're not a fan, you should become a fan. You should go listen to his podcast. It's called Win Today. He has some of the top leaders in the world. Brian Houston, Bill Johnson, all kinds of amazing people um, are on his podcast. And, and so Chris has a real high gift of leadership and also really wants to get people healthy so they can become the leader um, that they're called to be. And so Chris will be coming and celebrating seven incredible leaders and powerful principles in leadership. And then week number three, which is the 28th, the actual party, party, party of the celebration, um, it's going to be all right. You guys aren't going to miss it. We're going to do seven incredible testimonies and just celebrate what the Lord's done through our ministry the last seven years. So um, make sure you get that on your radar. It is going to be fantastic. Um, next week, before we start that series, we got Papa T up doing a Holy Spirit service. Come on, someone say next week. I ain't going to miss. <laughs> it's going to be fantastic. Make sure you do that. Um, how about that last song we just did, huh? Wasn't that something? At first I'm like, all right, is this like a soaking song? I was like, it was new to me too. And I'm like, and then the hammer came out and I was like, wow. <laughs> I mean, I could just sing that, that bridge or that song over and over and over again. Did anyone just feel compelled just to want to lay it all down? I mean, isn't it amazing how music can just get you wide open to let the Lord do what he wants to do? I love that. And uh, man, just thankful for the worship team. They're so good. Danielle and Phil, thank you guys for the set. That was great. Um, hey, uh, man, thanks for your prayer. Last weekend I was in Texas. I was in Canyon, Texas, just outside Amarillo. Um, we're really doing an, an event of, of the first of its kind that kind of people within our stream have really gone after, at least that we're aware of. Maybe others have done it, we're just not aware. But um, Dub Alexander, dear friend, uh, Dan McCollum, uh, Matt Gonzalez, uh, Brian Orm and myself are putting together an experience uh, called Kingdom Reformers. And so uh, we did our first experience in Amarillo, uh, where Dub Alexander is from. Our next experience is going to be in Vacaville in January. And we're going to duplicate these experiences. How many know that you're not a problem, you're a solution? And, uh, and so there's a, there's, a whole, uh, there's a whole just massive group of people um, that have been going after encounters with the Lord that are now beginning to ask the question, what's next? They've encountered Jesus. They're, they're, they're getting healthy on the inside. They've had these moments with these defining moments with God where they've found out who they were. And now they're beginning to realize, hey, we need some targets. We need to, we need to know what this is unto. And so, man, just thank you so much for your prayer. It's so exciting. I tell you what, I've never had more amazing, like remarkable feedback, actually, from any event that I've ever been a part of. I mean, people were truly changed. It wasn't just a conference. It's just one of those, like, holy sacred moments where if you were in the room, like, something significant happened. And Adolfo got to go with me. And, man, we just both got wrecked the whole weekend, man, didn't we? And, uh, and just it was really, really phenomenal. So uh, Adolfo's from Canyon, Texas, and uh, has some history there. So he got to go home and, and sow into his, uh, into his roots. So that was phenomenal. We just had a great time. So um, this coming week, I'm going to be in Vacaville with uh, Bob Hazlett and Dan McCollum and Matt Gonzalez uh, doing a RISE conference. They'll be praying for me this week. 
um, that's going to be uh, another great opportunity to show in what the Lord's doing. But hey, this week we got week number three um, for a series or a conversation we're having called Press Play. And I really want to take the time today to encourage you and give some direction about what it looks like to press play on city transformation. And the city we're talking about specifically for us is Detroit. And uh, how, many, how many guys love our city? Amen. Love the city of Detroit. And so we're going to spend some time on that today because I believe that there's a need for us to begin to put weight on the bar as the body of Christ, even outside of Gen 1, I'm talking about the Big C Church, um, on our ability to really impact cities because we exist. How many know that your neighborhood, your business, your city, the places we have influence should be better because we're there? Amen? And, uh, and how many know that your city isn't going to get better just because you prayed for it? I got few, I got less amens on that one. <laughs> I said, how many of your city is it going to be better if you just pray? Come on, we need people who will love the city. How, how many, here's a good, this is a good example. How many of you guys believe your children will be raised really well if you just pray for them? Okay, there we go. Now, now you know, it's the same thing. Cities are, are places where, where we relate, where we connect, and where we are discipled, and where we grow, and, and how, we, how we live and demonstrate our lives, and how we engage culture. And it's something that has to be sown into. And so according to the measure that you sow in is the measure you're going to reap back. Going to get a big amen. And so, you know, it's interesting. Paul, um, the apostle, I'm going to kick these flip-flops off. There we go. Sorry for the smell, front row. Um, anyways. Um, you know, Paul the Apostle, isn't it interesting that he didn't write letters to a church? Like if Paul was alive today, he probably wouldn't write the letter to Gen 1. Right? He probably wouldn't write the letter to Kensington Church or Woodside Church or whatever churches that are in the area. Like he wouldn't write the church to Lakewood or to Bethel or to Hillsong Church. How many know that he wrote his letter to a city? Ephesians was written to the city of Ephesus, yeah. The, the, the letter to, uh, to the Galatians were the people of the city of Galatia, right? Uh, Corinthians, Corinth, Romans to Rome, right? These are people that were connected to cities. And, and it's interesting to me today, I wonder if Paul was alive and, and operating in his ministry, who would he write his letters to? Who would he write his letters to? I'd like to propose to you that he would write his letter to the, to the people who are pioneering the kingdom in, in, in Detroit. Come on, I, I bet he'd write to Detroit right now. Detroit, you know, historically has gone through chaos. And you know, people have said it was fully dead. But how many know Detroit's coming fully back to life? Come on, it's coming fully back to life. And you can't get excited about a, about a city coming back to life unless you engage the apostolic understanding that Paul allowed us to experience through his ministry of realizing that cities are important to God. I said cities are important to God. You know, if you win the city, you win the region. You know, cities are strongholds. And the good sense of a stronghold, they protect and they preserve economies. They protect and preserve the rule of law. They protect and preserve, you know, what it looks like and how we relate in culture and, and create passageway for, um, you know, for, um, for education and, and for distribution of resources. And, and how many know that if our cities fail, that we're going to be heavily impacted by it? Yeah? I mean, we should know this because it's happened in Detroit. <laughs> 
You know, in, in 1958, there were 1.6 million people living in Detroit. We were the exploding boomtown economy in America. Yeah? And 50 years later, you know, we have 670,000 people who live in the proper limits of Detroit. 5.3 million in the proper, um, you know, Detroit metro area, but only 670,000 people living in the city. How many know that if a city fails, it impacts people's lives? You know, we, we have, you know, what is it, 250 homes per day right now are being torn down in Detroit, or per week. 250 homes per week. They've been doing this for a year and a half now. Yeah? And so it's interesting because, you know, um, Henry Ford had a beautiful dream, and his dream was that every um, person in America would, would feel like they're able to go get a car. He wanted the common person to have a car. He didn't want it to be a luxury item. And so he actually went to state legislature, and he uh, challenged the mass transit laws of the day, and he, he roadblocked all access to mass transit. Because he wanted there to be a dependence on the car so that people would go buy a car. Now, that's also a shrewd business move. But how many know that transportation independence was, was actually a dream that it would dignify us all with a lifestyle that says we can all get to where we need to get when we need to get there. You know, and so one of the unique things about the city of Detroit, because we were based off of the birth of cars, was that the limits of Detroit expanded and expanded and expanded. We didn't stack on top of one another. We sprawled. You know, and so we have 108 boroughs in Detroit, I believe the number is. 108. You know, Chicago has 77, to put it in perspective. Um, you know, they say that you could fit most of Manhattan and Boston inside the proper limits of Detroit. Like, wow, like we are a massive, sprawling city. And so when you have a massive, sprawling city that's built off the economy of cars and job creation and things of that nature, and then you create some racial tension that allows for fighting in factories and then almost the burning of a city in 1967, how many know that we all felt the impact of that? Yeah, we did. We all felt the impact of that. My, gra my grandfather was a legacy GM uh, employee, you know, 45 years retired. And, uh, you know, and, and how many know that, you know, whether I worked at GM or my grandfather worked at GM and then my father worked at GM for a season, like how many know it impacts the line of what's going on? You know, you got wages. You know, one of the unique things about Detroit historically is that we had a, we had a thriving middle class. We were, we were the leading middle class um, distribution place in America. I'm making up words right now. Thanks. Um, and so, but it was, it was so common because of the factory job that someone could go work a job, get overtime, get double time. And then we had more second homes per capita than any city in America. Like the whole idea of like going up north, you go up north of the cabin, which some of you guys are probably leaving here and going up north. There's other people who aren't here that are already up north here in Michigan. That's what we do. We go up north. And, uh, and where do we go? Well, we go to our cabin house or the cabin house that our parents own or we go to the cabin house our friends own. All of us, there is, it's so hard in Michigan to find someone um, you know, who doesn't either possess or know someone very closely who possesses a second home in Michigan. Right? Like if you really wanted to get up north, you could do it anytime you wanted to. And, and that's because of, of the blessing that came through an industry 
into our city, you know. And so, but now one of the shifts you're seeing is that there's less people who have a cottage up north, but their grandparents do, or their parents do, or their aunt and uncle do, and the next generation, it's, you're seeing there's, there's a gap. And, uh, and why is that? Well, it's because the distribution of wealth through industry has changed in Metro Detroit. And so, um, and so we've all lived off the blessing of this. And, uh, and so I really believe that when we're mindful of cities and we're mindful of sowing and, and investing ourselves, that there's, there's something really powerful um, that the Lord wants to do in that. And so I want to open up just a conversation today. I'm going to start in first, uh, John chapter 16. And because uh, I think this is exciting stuff. And I tell you what, if, if you come to Gen 1 and you don't love Detroit, well, you're going to be blessed by being here, but you're going to miss out on some spectacular things that are about to happen. And uh, so if you're not excited about Detroit, hopefully we're going to get you excited about Detroit and God's passion towards cities here after we talk about this. Go to John 16, verse 4. It says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Someone say, to your advantage. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because of the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and, and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus is here with his disciples. He's leaving, and he's saying, hey, it's to your advantage that I go away. How many, how many like, could imagine this moment where Jesus has validated your life, he's included you, he's been your rabbi, he's empowered you, he's validated you, he's made you significant, and now the very person who has validated your life and made you to be, you know, feel significant is now walking away and, and you feel like you have no authority. You feel like you have no provision. You feel like, like it's all get about ready to go away. And so Jesus, you know, earlier in John 14 was saying, hey, if you, if you, if you trust me, you'll do the things that I've told you to do. Obey, if you love me, obey my commands, he actually said. And we've used that passage of scripture to basically browbeat people into obedience. If you love God, then you'll do what he says, you know. And, and, you know, and Jesus here is, is not giving them the recipe on how to be good Christians or make it into heaven one day. He's giving them the recipe on how to trust him while they go do the thing that he taught them to do. Come on, somebody. You know, Jesus didn't come to rescue you. Jesus actually manifested on the earth to show you what you were about to do. Come on, somebody. I said, Jesus came on the earth to show you what you were about to do. I, I've had a hard time finding anything that Jesus did on the earth that we're not also allowed to do. Come on, somebody. 
I said there's an opportunity for us to begin to dream with the Lord about what's possible when we say yes to him. You know, so here, here's Jesus saying, hey, I'm going away, but if you love me, just do all that I've trained you to do. And that will protect you. That will preserve you. That will set you up. And, uh, you know, and so there's, there's a need for us to realize that the advantage of Jesus going away from the disciples was that he was going to be able to get uncomfortably close, like I like to talk about. And, uh, and he was going to begin to dwell inside of us. Amen. And so look at your neighbor and say, he's so close. He's so close. You know, we're talking about pressing play. You know, how, how many know that to, to receive, you have to say yes? You know, and there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's an opportunity for us to begin to transform the region, the realms that we're a part of. If we're willing to engage our heart, press play, take advantage of the opportunity. Jesus said, I'm going away, but I need you to, to understand that this is to your advantage because you're about to do something. I want to prophesy to you that God is not going to change Detroit, but you are. Christ in you is going to change Detroit. God working through you is going to change Detroit because you're not a problem. You're a solution. Come on, somebody. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because a lot of us think about our own good. We think about our own ability to receive. We think about our own interests that we want to protect. And even in our family legacy, it's like, oh, well, how can I save up, you know, money for my kids and then my grandkids and then if my kids save for their grandkids and then we'll start to have a four and five generation legacy plan here and that's all awesome and amazing stuff. But how many know that if we truly embrace the Christ in us, that there should be generation upon generation upon generation of wealth and abundance and growth and discipleship and healing and restoration. Come on, somebody. I said, someone's got to begin to dream a big dream about what's possible um, when Christ in me starts to get out of me. Come on. You're not a roadblock to the plan of God. You're a conduit to the plan of God. Right? So what is God's dream to push through you right now? I believe God trusts people with as much as he can push through them. And so if we have a city that's been devastated by by division and racial tension and economic collapse and, and corruption and, 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 and injustice and so many broken things inside of Detroit in its past. If it's experienced those things, do, is, 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 do we just need practical solutions here? We do need many practical solutions, but how many we need a few supernatural solutions as well? I said we need some Christ in you, the hope of glory solutions, everybody. You know, Detroit's not going to be transformed if we, if we worship God long enough and see a glory cloud. That's a manifestation of heaven on earth. But the sustainability of heaven on earth is when Christ begins to move through you. Come on, somebody. Some of you in the room, you're like, well, dude, I haven't even been thinking about a glory cloud. Well, bless you. There's a lot of revivalists who have. <laughs> and I love revival, I love the awakening, I love the sign and the wonder. But that, that, if that sign and wonder doesn't ignite a curiosity and a hunger to go after Jesus and to begin to push that through your life for the benefit and the transformation of everyone around you, then you've missed out on why that manifestation existed in the first place. Come on, somebody. I said when you're full of love, you can't help but give it away. You know, a lot of the church has been so focused on trying to find their blessing and find their purpose that they've, they've not become the blessing that God's designed us to become for all those around us. 
You know, you guys have heard me say this a bunch, you know, but God's love for you is for you, but God's favor on you is for them. Come on. Your favor was meant to be taken advantage of. You know, for, for sake of context, because I'm talking specifically about cities, I'm going to tell the story again, but you've all heard, heard it. You know, but it's like I went to Frankenmuth and had a chicken experience. Praise God for chicken experiences. While we were there, we had to eat another meal, and we had bad Mexican. I walked away frustrated. If you don't know what frustrated is, well, you know, we talk about being hangry. That's when you're angry because you're hungry. Frustrated is when you go and you pay money for bad food. And then you walk away frustrated. Anyone ever been frustrated before? It's like, oh my gosh, how did that happen? That was like $13 for a piece of egg with a piece of bacon on top of it. I was in New York and I grabbing a meeting and, and I had a, it was a breakfast meeting and, and uh, the, the hotel I was in, um, the restaurant was pretty full and, and actually the food didn't look that great, to be honest. And so I was like, hey, let's go down the street. And so we went down the street. And, uh, and, and so I was, you know, I'm always generous. I like to be generous, you know. So this is a new relationship. And, and I'm like, well, I'm going to be generous. I'm going I'm to grab the bill. So we had some bacon and eggs, you know. And, and I, you know, the, and it was like really, really good food. But I, I had three scrambled eggs. I had two strips of bacon. And I had some coffee. And, and my, you know, my, my friend had, had about the same thing. And it was about $80. I mean, there wasn't a suit in the room. This wasn't like fine dining. There wasn't a white tablecloth. This was walking into New York City and getting jammed up real fast. <laughs> 80 bucks. <laughs> I was frustrated. <laughs> I'm like, I should have read that menu before I ordered. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm walking out of Frankenmuth, and I just had bad Mexican. I'm frustrated. I'm driving the car. And the Lord's like, Drew, do you want to know why bad Mexican exists in Frankenmuth? I'm like, yeah, Lord, because I'm about to get Old Testament on these people. And he said, he said, bad Mexican exists in Frankenmuth because of the favor on chicken. He said there's so much favor on chicken that people started hotels because of chicken. They started other restaurants on chicken. They started 365 days of Christmas because of chicken. Come on, somebody. And the Lord said, I have prospered a city because of the favor on chicken that those who can't even run a restaurant begin to prosper because there's so much favor on chicken. Come on, somebody. I said God's love for you is for you, but God's favor on you is for them. What's your chicken? Come on, there's something inside of every single one of you that has the capacity to create an abundance, to create a prosperity, to create favor, that even those who have not prepared themselves would begin to benefit from the thing that's moving through your life. Come on, somebody. I said you're not a problem. We need to begin to shift our thinking. You know, we've detached ourselves from God. It's like we've been like the disciples, shaking in our boots because Jesus left, and we're just waiting for him to return to fix everything. <laughs> it doesn't say Christ around you is the hope of glory. Let's just think about this. If there is a hope of glory being manifest in the four corners of the earth, it's going to be because you have a revelation that it's inside of you. Like, do you get that? This isn't just some Christian phrase we say. 
Christ in you, the hope of glory, the scripture says. The hope, the expectation of something good happening in the future for glory to be manifest in the earth is in you. It's not going to happen outside of you. Come on, somebody. Are, are, are you hearing what I'm saying? I said, there's a little bit of weight we need to put on the bar. Woo! I said, if glory is going to be seen in the earth, and the Bible says it's going to cover the four corners of the earth, come on, somebody, it's going to happen when a generation begins to believe that Christ in me is the hope of glory, not Christ being read about or working around me or getting excited. Like, it's through me. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, I like the Christ in you. You know, it's, it's natural to my disposition to be action Jackson. Like, I'm busy, all right? I've had to learn how to be focused busy and not just busy busy. You know, anyone ever been busy busy? Um, I've had to grow in that. But I, I am motivated to action. I want to go do something. I want to see outcomes. I want to see motion. I, I'm like, let's go. Let's not talk about it. Let's go do something. You know, and that can drive some people crazy. You know, because like, Drew, just slow down. Like, come on, let's slow down. You know, and I've had to learn how to slow down in some moments. But I tell you what, I, I've, I've been, I'm standing here in front of you, and I have a message for you. And it's that you aren't a problem, you're a solution. God wants to move through you, which is going to require a yes to God on how great he designed you. And then you begin to put one foot after the other and say, I'm going to take some responsibility for some challenges that are around me. I'm going to take some responsibility for the widow and for the orphan. I'm going to take some responsibility to start a business that could bless a city. I'm going to take responsibility, come on, for healing and restoration. I'm going to take some responsibility for widows and for orphans. I'm going to take some, res come on somebody, I'm preaching a little bit. I said, I'm going to take some responsibility and go be Christ in the earth. Woo! We got to do it, Rebecca. Come on. You're solutionary. You're doing so much. I love where you're committed. Like, we're, this house is full of solutionaries. People are, who are accepting this. Re like, what I'm talking about, you're like, you're dreaming with the Lord or you're already doing, already have some fruit. I tell you what, there is an opportunity right now for us to have impact at a level like we've never seen in American history. Why is that? Because we've never seen a city the size of Detroit go through what it's gone through in the last 50 years and be ripe for the opportunity for renaissance. Do you realize that you are alive and in proximity to one of the greatest American recovery stories in history? That you can be a part of if you want to. Like you can write a letter to Detroit if you want to. Come on, you can be Christ to Detroit if you want to. And so I, I believe that according to our gifts, talents, callings, anointings, that there's a capacity inside of all of us that we then need to elevate our competency so that what's inside of us can get out of us. Have you ever met the person who has a bunch of ideas and never knows how to execute? So that's high capacity and really low competency. But there's a shift where we're having to learn how to upgrade our competency so that we actually know how to get what's on the inside on the outside. 
You know, for some of you, it's just, it's just being motivated. And others, it's like you need to get a friend in your life that has a gift on executing. You know, some of you need to partner with a builder that can help build your dreams and then you pay him for it. Come on. Right? If it's a dream from God, it's worth investing into. And so there's a need for us to, to make the shift. And so um, in, in uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 21, um, we, we've read it a bunch of times recently, but it talks about this, this um, wave of refreshing that would lead to the appointment of Christ that would turn to the, the restoration of all things. And I really believe that, you know, what we're really establishing right, excuse me, right now is this idea that we would begin to see a three-step process. How many steps? Three steps. And so, um, you know, for, for all of us in the room that have, like, pursued revival, which I'm one of them, and, and uh, many of you in this room have, been, have a heart for revival, and, uh, and we need to, how many know we need to keep the fire hot? Amen? We need to keep the fire hot. And, and revival, I like to talk about, is, is transformation for me. I am revived. People get revived. And so when I get revived, that really means that my heart is awake to God. I've had an encounter with love. I've, 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 I've had face-to-face -face moments with the Lord. I am transformed. I've been, I, I've had that refreshing. Anyone ever been tired and then you get revived and it's like, wow, I feel like a new person. You know, I, we, we joke around getting born again again, you know. And, uh, and so I've had those experiences with God where I've gotten revived. And I really believe we need to build on that foundation and begin to take some, some of this weight on the bar that says, hey, now that I am healthy, now that I see myself as God sees me, now that I'm full of love, now that I, I'm burning deep with passion for who he is and what he, you know, what he has for me, I need to begin to reform. And so I'm going to experience revival and then build on that for reformation. What is reformation? Reformation is my ability to confront systems that are designed to serve our relationships. And one of the reasons that we need to engage from a reformational standpoint is because not all of our structures are serving our relationships. Come on, if we're going to bring heaven on earth, it's not just for the personal encounter. It's that we'd be able to bring heaven everywhere that we see hell, which means there are some, there's some hell in the structures. There's some injustice in the structures. Come on, the structures aren't serving the interest of all people. Can I get a big amen on that? Which means we need innovative ideas and application and the capacity to bring multiple people to the table to see some outcomes that will actually serve the interests of people. And we need our favor that we personally carry to begin to bring that together so that many can benefit from what it is that God's wanting to push through my life. And so revival is for me, reformation is for the world around me that we can see the third step, which is the restoration of all things. You see, there's a dream in God's heart that the whole earth would realize it's a new creation. When the whole earth realizes it's a new creation, Jesus will be made physically manifest amongst us in his second coming. But I tell you what, he's in process of showing himself every time a spot or a wrinkle gets out of the robe. He's looking for a bride without spot or wrinkles. I, I really believe that, you know, every time that we get revived, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a wrinkle that gets ironed out. When we start to engage and go after reformation, all of a sudden that spot begins to go away. When we begin to work for the restoration and dream, for what God's heart is for the restoration of all things, another wrinkle goes out. And I tell you what, Jesus becomes made more manifest through us every time we do it. We look more like Jesus today than we ever have in history. 
It's for sure true. So there, there's, a, there's a need for us to really begin to ask the question, what does it look like to operate out of our advantage? What does that really begin to look like? And so there's, um, I'll just share real briefly and then we're going to wrap this up. The, the Lord began to speak to me about four areas that I, I really believe are significant within Detroit. And I believe this is going to um, gain traction even in other cities in America. But I began to see as I was interviewing, basically for the last 18 months, really for the last four years, but in depthly for the last 18 months, I've just been going and spending time in the city. It's getting time with leaders, doing interviews, hearing people's stories, seeing the challenges, sitting with people in their mess, wanting to understand, wanting to learn and get educated. Because how many know sometimes when you're coming in from the outside, the savior syndrome can lead you more than understanding can lead you. And, uh, and, and so we're not just trying to come up with this, you know, uh, opportunity to, you know, to get a few, you know, uh, like buttons pushed here. We're actually wanting to change the way that people live because that's what the kingdom of God is all about. And so I began to see that there were four areas that needed, to me, I, I felt were central needs. And w this was all motivated out of the desire for me to want to understand what are the values of, the fa of fathers that are not present in this city. Um, in my journey, I, I, I've basically summarized, I think you can summarize most problems in the world with the absence of, of a father heart or a physical father being present. And I believe that people who are fathered make good choices. I believe people who are fathered have a path to succeed that's greater than those who don't. All right? And so, um, and, and I could talk on and on and on about fatherless issues and what's going on. And, and, uh, but, you know, it's, it, it's, it's devastating what's going on in the earth right now. Um, when you think about the, the fatherless epidemic that we're having. And so there's a, there's a weird conversation happening where the fatherless are trying to, in their pain, declare that we need programs to fill the void for their fatherless situation. And, uh, and so how many know that whenever an institution becomes your father is the moment you became an orphan? So you, you, you started broken or rejected and abandoned, and then when we have institutionalized solutions for fathering, a.k.a. provision, direction, all the things that help us go, um, you, you become an orphan to the system. And, and we, we end up um, devaluing people as worthy of having a human in their life to lead them and direct them in the way that they should live their life. And so, you know, uh, and, and so there's, a, there's a need, you know, it's like... Um, and there's a need for us to understand the fatherless issues that are plaguing our city. Um, because I believe if we engage the fatherless issues, um, we can really um, have a massive impact. And so um, basically what I was just saying a moment ago, to put it real clear, is that socialism isn't the answer. So redistribution of wealth is not the, not the answer. Uh, distribution of money is not the answer. We actually need humans to dignify other people with human value and let family lead the way. Come on, somebody. One of the reasons why we are having this larger conversation about the government providing people at a higher level is because the church is no longer doing it. And the church was the family mechanism that met the need of the poor. The family was, the church family was the mechanism that met the need of the neighbor who was down and out. The church was the mechanism, come on somebody, family's been the solution and we need family to continue to be the solution. But how many know it costs you a lot more to be, become family with your neighbor than to write the check? 
or to get that withdrawal in your taxes. Come on, somebody. But you can't complain about the narrative that's coming into the culture unless you're also doing something about it to show the more excellent way. Can I get a real big amen? And so we don't need people dependent on structures. We need people connected in relationship. Yeah? And so there's a need, you know, and so uh, there, there are values within the socialism movement that actually are true. And the, and, the, and the values or the narrative part that's true is that all people are worth it. Yes, they are. All people should be dignified with opportunity. Yes, they should be. I completely agree with it. And I also believe that we should keep people powerful through relationship and not institutionalize opportunity because the institution will never serve the interests of all people. Yeah? Because if you become, if you become provided for by the institution, you'll just become a number. And the number will never do justice for all people. It'll just do justice for the new people that got included. And then there's that whole other group of people who are now not included. Come on. And so we, we, need, the, uh, the, uh, we need to begin to accept responsibility for fatherless outcomes. <laughs> this is fun. I know I'm stepping on some toes, you know, because I'm... Um, but I, I really believe a father will always step up to the plate and say, I accept responsibility. And I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to dignify. And so we need an army, a whole army, in the body of Christ to raise up in our city and say, I'll be the father. I'll be the mother. I'll adopt a neighborhood. I'll mobilize everyone I know to go move and, and, and work in this area. I, I'll be a part of that initiative. I'll, I'll go spend time here. And, uh, and so I, I, there's a need for us to begin to accept responsibility because it's not going to happen alone. Detroit isn't going to father itself into its next season. It can be loved into, into its next season, but it's going to take many to get behind those who are in Detroit, who have vision for Detroit, that just need to be loved and protected and, 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 and created a, and a support system uh, available so that those who are actually leading in the city can do it and sustain the things that are in their heart to do. Come on, we don't need people to go rescue Detroit. We need people to get behind those who are leading in the city so we can see the heart of Detroit rise like never before. We don't need saviors in Detroit. We don't need people who think they got it all figured out. We don't need to tell people what to do. We need to go love people while they take the greatest risk of their life. Come on. What does that look like? You know, for... I would say, from what I understand of most of us in the room, like, we don't have, like, addresses in the city, right? So there's a credibility issue of us going and working in the city that we have to learn how to overcome. And how we learn how to overcome that is in coming low on our donkey, getting off our war horse, coming low on our donkey, not assuming that we have the answers for things, and then consistently showing up time after time after time after time, after time. This is what a mother and a father would do, is they'll show up, and they'll show up, and they'll show up. So there's four areas that we've been elevating. I've been doing a ton of research in these areas, okay? And it's in leadership, literacy, family wholeness, and economic development. Leadership, literacy, family wholeness, and economic development. 
And in these four areas, I believe that the fatherless, the outcome of being fatherless, these are the greatest. That I believe that if we begin to engage these things, we can see um, something really significant happened, uh, begin to happen. As I begin to formulate this opinion, I got on a call with a, a political advisor um, in, the, um, in, in HUD. And uh, this is a senior political advisor to, to Dr. Carson. And I had shared this strategy I, that I believe these four areas were significant for the city of Detroit and that someone who could champion in these four areas that we'd see powerful outcomes. And I believe it could be really the strength of the city in the future. And so I had shared it with a friend and they were like, well, hey, you know, I have a, I have a, a, a friend who's a political advisor and they're working on some proje projects in Detroit through Dr. Carson. And they would really love to hear what you're saying. And, and there may be some synergy. And so it was just literally that, that referral, that phone call, got me on a call um, with this political advisor. And as I began to share my heart and passion for the city and my understanding through the research that I'm doing, I said, you know, hey, I believe that there's leadership, literacy, family wholeness, economic development, kind of broke it all down to what I think it could look like. And uh, the lady is like, um, have you, by chance, like, have you been working with HUD already? I was like, no, I'm so sorry. I, this is the first you're the first official that I've ever spoken with in, in HUD. And she said, well, I, have you been consulting at all someone else who's working in HUD? I'm like, no, I haven't. She's like, have you already been working in Detroit and working with someone who's also working with HUD? I'm like, no, I have not. I'm, I'm sorry. And she's like, are you sure? Like, she goes, did you, like, I know we scheduled this call last week, but, like, within the last two days, have you been on Dr. Ben Carson's website? And, I, and that, now I'm feeling like a fool, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I wasn't prepared for the call. I didn't steward this correctly. I should have been on the website. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I have not been on Dr. Carson's website to be informed on whatever you're about to tell me about. She's like, well, um, it's just interesting because a few days ago we just released a campaign um, for, for cities and urban areas to restore the fatherless situations. And, and we have four pillars of change, and it's leadership, literacy, family wholeness, and economic development. <laughs> I got another phone call after that one. Yeah. And... And, and simply, and this is just from doing research. Favors opening, like we haven't even done anything yet. We haven't even done anything yet. I'm just doing research. And from favor, there's favor on just simply taking a step because no one's taking a step. And I tell you this, the federal government is desperate for people, private citizens, who will say, I'll accept some responsibility and I'll go be an agent of change in the places everywhere that you can see how as we bring heaven. It's looking for people who will just accept responsibility. That phone call got me a meeting in Washington, D.C. with higher-up officials. Come on. Simply from just stewarding an opportunity and beginning to dream with the Lord about what it looks like to say yes. That meeting is opening up opportunities for other situations and other situations. And it's getting deeper and it's getting deeper and it's getting diversified now. And just simply for me accepting responsibility for Detroit, it's opening up impact in other categories that are about to blow my mind away. Like I can't even talk, I can't even think about like what's possible and some of these other things that are starting to open up. It's remarkable stuff. And, and so, but just like, how many know that when you accept responsibility, an abundance of good things begin to happen? Because God will trust you with how much he can push through you. I said, you're not a pond, you're a river. 
Come on, if you're a pond, you're going to get some algae. The frogs are going to take over. The lily pads are going to make the water turn. I mean, 